Live from Southern California, this is the Jim Rome Show. All right, I want to start with the NFL, and I want to start with the head coach openings. And another one may have just been filled, which I'll get to momentarily. But when you look at the openings, they're starting to close pretty quickly. Bruce Arians to Tampa, Matt LaFleur to Green Bay, Cliff Kingsbury to Arizona. Now, if you're tripping about the last two, you should not be. In fact, you should not be tripping about any of them because all these guys pretty much have one thing in common. They know how to work with quarterbacks. Bruce Arians, as an example, he's got a track record a mile long when it comes to quarterbacks. And if you're Tampa Bay and you desperately need somebody to turn Jameis Winston around, then Arians is your guy. Not just because he worked with Peyton Manning. Ben Roethlisberger, and Carson Palmer. Not just because he and Winston have history and they go way back. And it's not just because Arians has gone viral legend for having one of the greatest reaction shots ever. No, there is more to it than that. My man B.A., he is not just a quarterback guru. He is not just a quarterback whisperer. He's got an amazing approach. And he's got a swagger for days that impacts the entire team and the whole organization. In other words, he gives you juice. He gives you a spark. It's not often you could say that about a head coach, but Arians is, in fact, one of those guys. I mean, he's got the look. He's got the lid. He's got the attitude that commands respect the moment he walks into your building. No wonder the Bucks were willing to essentially trade a sixth-round pick to Arizona for Arians in a seventh. Hell, no wonder they had Cubs manager Joe Madden, a friend of B.A.'s, recruiting him as well. In other words, when you've got a shot at a guy like that, you've got to take it. Shoot your shot. Shoot your damn shot. And they did. All right, so what about Green Bay? We haven't gotten into that yet. What about Green Bay? They hired Titans offensive coordinator Matt LaFleur to be their head coach. Listen, (laughs) it's pretty evident now. And everybody's making jokes about this now, but everybody wants Sean McVay. Or if not Sean McVay, then the Lobster's kid, Kyle Shanahan. But you're not going to get either of these guys, so what's the next best thing? A guy who worked for, wait for it, Sean McVay or the Lobster's kid, LaFleur. Thanks, Alvy. LaFleur and McVay worked together in Washington, and when McVay got that Rams gig, one of the first moves he made was to hire LaFleur as his offense coordinator. So, there are endorsements, and then there's that level of endorsement. Like, have you ever wondered what Aaron Rodgers could do if he was in a scheme like Sean McVay's? I guarantee Aaron Rodgers has wondered that. Well, you can't get McVay, so you can't get a scheme. Or, you can bring in a guy who has a scheme like Sean McVay's. And yes, it might seem like Sean McVay has suddenly become the general manager of about a dozen teams in the NFL based on how often his name is being included in coaching searches. Notice I said included, not linked to, because McVay is not available. But by getting somebody like McVay, you might get some of that McVay magic. Which brings me to the third guy, Cliff Kingsbury in Arizona. Now, I know a bunch, what a bunch you were thinking. A lot of you are thinking that Arizona just hired the guy that Texas Tech fired. A lot of you are thinking they hired a guy who's got a losing record as a head coach. You're thinking they fired a guy or hired a guy who got fired by his own alma mater. Right. But they also hired a guy who has coached with and worked with Case Keenum, Johnny Manziel, Davis Webb, Baker Mayfield, and yes, Patrick Mahomes. 
In other words, they did the reverse Pete Carroll. Fired in college, taking a head coaching job in the NFL. Here's another thing to note. Success in college does not translate to success in the NFL and vice versa. Exhibit A, Nicholas Saban, followed quickly by Steve Spurrier, Lou Holtz, three of the best college coaches ever and utter disasters in the NFL. Yeah, right, Rome, but they hired a guy with no NFL head coaching experience. Right. You know who else had no NFL head coaching experience when he was hired? Wait for it, Sean McVay. And did you see what McVay did with Jared Goff in his second year? So you think the Cardinals might be interested in some of that McVay magic for Josh Rosen in his second year? You know it. Given the way this league is headed with more and more college schemes, you think they might want a guy whose college offense never finished outside the top 20 in his six years as head coach in Lubbock. It makes sense. And in Kingsbury, it's important now. He comes in with more than just youth, energy, Hollywood good looks, and quarterback coaching pedigree that McVay has. He's got the McVay endorsement. McVay wanted to hire him as a consultant for the stretch run, but he turned it down for that USC gig instead. And that's where it gets interesting, right? Because after Kingsbury was fired by Texas Tech, his name was linked with a lot of jobs, but he took the USC offensive coordinator job. And what a huge moment that was for that program, right? Trojan fans, so bitter about being 5-7, and seven, so bitter about losing five of their last six and getting smacked around by every good team they played. If you were bent about being stuck with Clay Helton, and Trojan fans were, you had to feel a hell of a lot better about that, knowing that that Ryan Gosling lookalike was coming in to coach up JT Daniels. Especially when you consider the fact that as good a job as that USC offensive coordinator job is, it's a tough sell when the head coach is on thin ice. But they still got the biggest fish possible. USC fans were pumped. They got the hottest coach out there, and he was going to be their OC. The life, the juice was back in that USC program. And then it was gone like five minutes later. Of course. And what do they have to show for it? 150 grand for the buyout. A 150 grand buyout. Yeah, probably the kind of money that Kingsbury was walking around with in his pocket. But more on that later on. Bottom line for the cards. And a lot of people are killing them for this move. I love it. I love it. Big swing. Hell yes, it's a big gamble. But that's why I like it. They're not afraid. They're not looking at who fired this guy in college. They're not looking at what this guy's record was in college. They're looking at who he's worked with, the quarterbacks he's helped develop, and the fact that he can come in and develop theirs. Look, I don't know if this guy's next Sean McVay. I don't know that such a guy exists. I don't even know if Kingsbury will be a great or even a good head coach. But I like the hire a lot. This is where the NFL is headed. More and more college schemes, and they hired one of the best offensive minds to come out of college in recent years. So you surround this guy with a good offensive line coach, a good D coordinator, some other veteran assistants, and then the juice and the heat is back in the desert. Either way, big swing. It's exciting. It's not some safe, cover-your-ass kind of move. I'm into it. I can't wait to see how it goes. Meantime... Lots of other reports this morning that the Browns are going with Freddie Kitchens as their head coach. In fact, Chris Mortensen reported that. So, another quarterback guru. What do all of these guys have in common? What do all of these hires have in common? They all develop quarterbacks. They all work with quarterbacks. So, where does that leave Triple G? 
Greg Williams, defensive-minded guy. He'd probably turn it down, right? I'm sure he'll have you believe that. I'm sure he'll have you believe that, oh, yeah, I could have had that job. I didn't want that job. Oh, yeah, they gave it to me first. I didn't want it. I want to get out of the way for Fred. I knew that I'd have 10 other offers and that Freddie might not have another one. Yeah, either that or they liked the work that Freddie Kitchens did with Baker Mayfield. His numbers shot up and they played winning football. All these guys have that in common. They're all developing quarterbacks. Rodney Harrison is my guest. Rodney, it's been a minute now. It's great to have you on the show. How are you? Jim, man, it is a pleasure, man. When I play out in San Diego, I got to get a chance to talk to you very often. You are a legend. It is my pleasure to be here with you, man. It's, it's still good to see you going strong, brother. Rodney, man, I can't tell you how happy I am to hear your voice, man. That, that felt so good. It is so good to have you back on this show. And, yeah, when you play for the Chargers, you always came on the program. And it's great to see you doing so well, too, Rodney. Thanks so much. Listen, before we get into the matchups this weekend, let me ask you this. When you've gone through an entire NFL season, how big of an edge is it for the teams who've had a bye last week to rest up in other words do the fans make too big of a deal out of it or not big enough of a deal I think the players really appreciate that time I mean you know when we went back to back in 03 and 04 we were the number one seed I think twice well we were number one seed I think in 03 and number two seed in 04 but anyway you know just having that week off is huge because you get a chance to kind of just decompress from the season a guy like Rob Gronkowski who's who's been hobbled, now he gets a chance to kind of get his legs back. Julian Edelman, Tom Brady didn't seem like he was 100%. So it's, it's really not an, uh, an underrated situation. Like when you get a chance to rest, not just physically, but, you know, getting a chance to just spend some time at home, kind of, you know, just kind of rethink everything that happened in the season and kind of reprioritize everything, man. But it's huge going into the playoffs, being able to play at home and getting that week off. If one of your New Year's resolutions is getting a new job, do not wait. Get to ZipRecruiter. In sports, there are smart moves, and then there are moves that are not as smart. You know, like making sure to get to practice on time, that's smart. Parking in the coach's spot, not very smart. And the same thing is true when you're hiring. There are smart ways and not so smart ways to get things done. Like job sites that overwhelm you with tons of the wrong resumes, that's just not smart. But posting a job on ZipRecruiter and letting them find the right candidates for you, that's smart. That's brilliant. ZipRecruiter's powerful matching technology scans thousands of resumes, identifies people with the right skills, education, and experience for your job, and then actively invites them to apply so you get qualified candidates fast. That's why it's rated number one by employers in the U.S. based on Trustpilot rating of hiring sites with at least 1,000 reviews. And right now, if you're listening, you can try ZipRecruiter for free at ZipRecruiter.com slash clones. That's right. Just go to ZipRecruiter.com slash clones. So if you're looking for a smart way to find the right talent to hire for your team, just go to ZipRecruiter.com slash clones today. ZipRecruiter, the smartest way to hire. ZipRecruiter.com slash clones. Rodney Harrison joining us. Rodney, you mentioned that Gronk's got a chance to get his legs back. Do you think that he will get his legs back for the postseason? Or frankly, is he not the guy that he used to be? Well, I think it's both. I think he's definitely not the guy that you know we're used to seeing. I think the injuries have taken a toll on him. I think 
Um, you know, his contract situation has kind of been up and down in the air, and I think a lot of his emotion and passion is gone. When I see him play, I don't see him playing with the same passion. I don't see him able to do the things that he's able to do. When it, when it was time for me to go, when I was in my 15th year, I ended up getting hurt. But I knew going into that 15th year that I wasn't the same player. I knew I was smart. I knew I worked my butt off. And I tried to, you know, and I was a great teammate, but I knew I could not run and do the things that I, that I normally could do. And it's frustrating, and I think that's what you're seeing with Rob. It's very frustrating because when you can't run, when guys are playing you single coverage, guys are no longer afraid to jam you at the line of scrimmage. I think that's what you're seeing going on with Rob Gronkowski. But he's going to have his hands full because he's going to have to deal with Duran James, who's a young safety I think he's the first team All-Pro. I voted for him, and he's having an outstanding year, and this guy's going to be ready for that challenge. Rodney Harrison joining us. He's appearing courtesy of Vizio and the TVP Award, which we'll get to in a minute. I want to ask you about Derwin James in a minute, but that point, Rodney, about Gronk not having the passion he used to have, I'm not going to understand that. It's hard to maintain that year after year after year, but then you've got Tom Brady. How do you explain the fact that this guy's in his 40s, he's had the success that he's had, but he still has that same passion, that same drive, that same motivation. I thought success was supposed to make you soft how do you explain that as it relates to Tom Brady I don't you know I, I think Tom has the same work ethic I mean even when I went out there this season and interviewed him I mean I had to wait like an extra hour and a half because he was getting treatment he, he still does the same things I think you see a combination of things I see I think you see Tom you know I, we all get a little older and we slow down a little bit I think you see some of his major weapons like Rob Gronkowski not being the same player I don't think Julian Edelman has the same speed and quickness that he's had in the past. And I love these guys. They play with passion. Um, but, you know, eventually you're going to get a little older. So I think that's really um, creep, crept in on the Patriots. You look at their offensive line, at times Tom is getting pressured a lot more often than he got pressured last year. And, you know, I think Belichick's going to rely more on Sony Michelle and in that run game. So it's, it's those type of things that's going on, and it's kind of – you know, it's a combination of a lot of those things that's really affecting the Patriots. But the Patriots do have the best coaching staff in, in all of football, and I think they will be ready for the, this Los Angeles Chargers team. Ronnie, I want to take a step back, and I want to just reference some of the things you just said. I mean, these are really strong comments, but fair comments, and, and somewhat critical. Not really critical, but somewhat critical. And somebody in your spot, I see this time and time again. If you're going to have success and do what you're doing at the level you are right now, this is the way you have to approach your work, and you have to say what's on your mind, and you can't be afraid to do so. When guys, and the Patriots know, right? They know you played with these guys. When they hear this, what is the reaction? Do they understand that you have a job to do now? I don't, I don't worry about that because I've, I've been in a situation, I mean, I've been doing this for 10 years, and I've been a player, and, and, and I watch tape, and I see things, and, and I'm not, it's not a personal Right. You know what I mean, Jim? Of course. Like, I, could, of course. I could see if I was one of those guys that if a player didn't like me and I, I gratuitously went out my way to say things negative, I'm not doing that. I'm just watching the tape. I'm, I'm looking at trends. I'm looking at kind of what I see week in and week out. And can any one of those guys, are, are any one of those guys the same player that they were, you know, a couple years ago? I, I think everyone would agree that they're not the same player, but that doesn't mean that they can't be effective. Heck, I wasn't the same player in my 14th, 15th year as I've gotten a lot, a little older. So I think I'm not trying to be critical of these guys. It's just kind of some of the things that I see on the defensive side of the ball. I mean, I'm excited about Stephon Gilmore. He's first-team All-Pro, had an outstanding year. You look at J.C. Jackson, 
the young cornerback. I mean, heck, he's been playing phenomenal. So they have some things on the defensive side of the ball. They've been there. They have some experience. It's not the fastest defense in the league, and that's one of the things that, that's frustrating to me because I see a very slow defense. But they're a well-coached team. They have the experience, and they'll be right there competing against the Chargers. You know, I want to be very clear about this. I think everything you said was fair. I agreed with everything you just said, but I understand where guys will take it personally if you've been in that same locker room. But again, it's not personal. Rodney Harrison joining us. One thing about the Chargers, earlier this season, Rodney, John Gruden compared Derwin James to you. He said, quote, he just has that Rodney Harrison playing style that I love, end quote. So what's it mean to you to hear guys compared to you? And then what do you think when you watch James play? I think John Gruden was spot on. I mean, because I think we're, we're guys that really want to be in the mix. I think everything changed for Derwin James when they moved him. They took him out the middle of the field, and they put him closer to the line of scrimmage where he could blitz. You know, he can have one-on-one coverage, um, you know, against the tight end, and he can make some plays in the backfield. I think this is a kid that plays with a lot of aggression. He plays um, very instinctual football. And he's very physical, and he's a, a really good athlete. And I, I think he wants to learn. I think he wants to be the very best. And I've always said that. I said, if, if it's one guy that I feel like that can to have more sacks than me in my career, I say this is the kid, him and maybe possibly Jamal Adams. These, these two kids, when you watch them play, you see they get it. They're old school, even with new school athleticism. And they just play the game hard. They play each play like it's their last play. And I'm just so excited to watch these kids each each week. Rodney Harrison appearing courtesy of Vizio and the Top Value TVP Award. In fact, let me ask you about that right now. You're working with the award, and this year's nominees, Rodney, include Blake Martinez, Chris Carson, Tyler Boyd, Philip Lindsay, Kenny Galladay. First off, how do the fans vote? Second of all, who would you vote for? Well, first of all, the award, the TVP award, recognizes the player whose on-field performance most outweighs the value of their current contract. And I was a fifth-round draft choice, and I didn't get paid a lot of money. So I outperformed my contract a lot of times. But fans could go on um, Vizio.com slash TVP to vote now until January 20th. And each fan, when you vote, you have a chance to win a 70-inch M-Series TV and a home theater sound system. So when I look at that list, um, Jim, I look at a guy like Chris Carson. And to me, I would say Chris Carson. Now, everybody that I talk to, they always talk about Philip Lindsay, an incredible year, and he had an outstanding year. But I look at Chris Carson. He played on the only team that really went to the playoffs out of all these guys. And his year was very instrumental in them making the playoffs, over 1,100 yards and nine touchdowns. So for me, my 2018 TVP nominee winner would be Chris Carson. All right, you Vizio. Like? You know, I kind of like Lindsey myself. I like the way the guy goes about it. I like his game. I like the way he gets after it. it, it maybe I'm looking at that more from my heart than my head, but I just I like this guy. I like his background. I like his grit. Lindsey, to me, is really tough. Love really him. tough. Yes, no, maybe so. Wrong answer. No, no, I, I love him. I, I, think, I think any of these guys, Blake Martinez, he came on strong. I think Tyler Boyd was incredible until he got injured. I mean, all these guys play fantastic. Kenny Galladay, even when um, Golden Tate was traded to Philadelphia, he played well, even with a, a struggling Matthew Stafford. I think any of these guys could definitely be um, the winner. All right, so, Ronnie, before you go, really quickly, you are a big golfer, big-time golfer. Question, where were the better tracks, San Diego or New England? I would say San Diego, but you know the funny part about them back then I didn't even really play. I wasn't a big um 
golfer back then. I would I would go to like these military golf course bases because I had a couple friends in the military, and we used to play. It wasn't fancy. But I used to hit the ball all over the place, Jim, and I used to go through about 15 to 18 balls in a round of golf. I end up investing in my game, buying better equipment, getting lessons. Now I may only lose one ball during a round. Hey, Ronnie, really quickly, what is it about golf? I mean, I know that guys who like it, love it, can't get enough of it, would do things to play around that they would never do for anything else. What is it? Is it because you can never master it? It's the great equalizer. What do you love about that sport? Because it's nothing like the sport you used to play. Well, it is in the sense that, you know, with football, you're always trying to work out and improve your game. You're always trying to learn the game. And I think golf is the same way. I think, you know, this is an opportunity for me to go up and play and meet different people, see different places. And it doesn't matter if you're 23 years old, you can play with somebody 23, 50, 80, uh, 13-year-old. I mean, it's just amazing the type of people and just the different type of golf courses, the challenges. It's just the challenge that you know, you as an athlete, you love. Just just the challenge of being there. And, Jim, let me tell you something, man. I've always watched you for years. I always had a lot of respect for you, man, when I was when I was just coming up in the game, man. I appreciate you for being always so kind and um, courteous to me and giving me a, a platform to always come on, man. I appreciate you, and I think you do a wonderful job. Yeah, you know, Ronnie, I appreciate you saying that. And I want to say really quickly the reason I did that. One, I always appreciate the way you went about your work. I appreciate the way you played the game. But, man, you were good content, right? You were always great to talk to. You were one of those guys that was not going to come in and spit a, bunch of, uh, spit a bunch of cliches. I mean, you didn't have an agenda, and you weren't coming for somebody per se, but you were never afraid to speak your mind. And that was rare then, and it's rare now, other than that hot take nation, you know? Yeah, yeah, and you know, and, and like I said, any anything that I say on television, it's it's never personal. It's just you know my opinion, and and you know I stick by my my opinion. I'm not always right, but you know the intentions behind it are always in the right place. And um, you know, if you don't want criticism, then play better. Do you ever fire up your work computer and wait forever for the programs to load? This is not going to happen if you have Captera. Remember the year 1999? Great year, right? Yeah, well, we're officially 20 years past that. So if you're no longer partying like it's 1999, then why does the software that you use every day at work feel like it's not quite ready for Y2K? Start the year off on the right foot and find software that's, you know, a little more up to date. Find it on Capterra.com. Capterra is the leading free online resource to help you find the best software solution for your business. With over 700,000 reviews of products from real software users, discover everything you need to make an informed decision. No matter what kind of software your business needs, Captera makes it easy to discover the right solution fast. As an example, here in the jungle, we have got several hundred affiliated radio stations. I need to stay on top of it all. I need the right software. Captera helps me with that. Visit capterra.com slash Rome for free today to find the right tools to make 2019 the year for your business. Capterra.com slash Rome. Capterra, that's C-A-P-T-E-R-R-A.com slash Rome. Let me change up. We've talked a lot about the matchups this weekend. We talked about a number of the hires around the NFL, but it's been a minute or two since we've talked about or even heard from Conor McGregor. In fact, it's been over three months since he lost at UFC 229. And yes, it was a submission via neck crank. It was a neck crank. Nothing to see here. Not funny then, not funny now. Keep moving. 
But just because he has not stepped into the cage for UFC fights since October does not mean that he's let himself go or lost any of his edge. He hasn't. If you want proof, check out what he just did to Max Holloway's coach, Faraz Sahabi. For a little bit of background, remember, Connor beat Holloway in August of 2013 by unanimous decision. Holloway has not lost since and is the current UFC featherweight champ. Because both these guys have been so dominant since that 2013 meeting, there's talk now of a possible rematch. Holloway's coach thinks that this time around, it's going to be a very different deal. During an Ask Me Anything session on YouTube, he talked about a potential rematch. And according to the bloodyelbow.com, in fact, never mind that, I can play you the actual sound. This is what he had to say. Holloway's coach about a possible rematch. Uh, if I had to pick Max Holloway versus McGregor today, I would pick Max Holloway. I think Holloway has grown leaps and bounds since then. He has grown leaps and bounds. So in my opinion, Holloway would outpunch him. He would outwork him. Um, he would do uh, very much what Diaz did, but more. All right, so very matter of fact that he's a very different fighter now than he was then, and he's much better, and he could do what Diaz did and more. And he added more. I think I think McGregor got away with a lot of stuff like the leg kicks uh, against Diaz. I don't think he'll have that against Holloway. All right, and furthermore, he made the argument that they fought at 145. If they fought at 145 or 155, Holloway would win six or seven times out of ten. That's what Holloway's coach Frost is saying. You ask me, if you're going to run up on Conor McGregor, and talk that kind of junk. If you're going to bash Conor McGregor anywhere, he's going to hear about it. It's going to work its way back to him, and he'll have a response. And it doesn't matter if you're live streaming it on YouTube, or if you're whispering it to somebody, or you say it out in the middle of the forest. If you think it, even if you think it, McGregor's going to hear it. McGregor's going to know about it. And then it's only a matter of time when he responds not if he will respond but a matter of time and then how he will respond and sure enough he did respond with a couple of amazing tweets here's tweet number one hey for us young man afraid to get in and fight himself stop talking about me like you know me you twerp you're what age why are you not in there yourself are you not up to it you rent dorms and hit a clock for a living. Shut your pie, kid. That's the first tweet. I mean, there's so much to unpack in that tweet. It's so beautiful. But then the second tweet, he chased that tweet with this, quote, all these young, mouthy clock hitters, stay ready. Now I can dedicate the rest of the show to those tweets. I still might not be able to unpack all the glory in those tweets. Let me do my very best here quickly. First off, there's the challenge to get in the cage yourself. Stop coaching and start fighting. That whole point. And then he chases that with, you twerp. You twerp. Are you kidding me about that? Like in an era when everybody is looking for the newest insult. You know, the sharpest way to bring somebody down. The sharpest way to cut somebody down. Connor reaches back into the early part of the last century for a twerp blast. You twerp. But then again, he was just getting warmed up. Because then he goes back to the notion of getting into the cage and running fists. And not just running your mouth. Quote, 
You're what age? Why are you not in there yourself? Are you not up to it? That's good. That's good. But what that was really was him setting up the next part of the tweet, which is fantastic. Quote, you rent dorms and hit a clock for a living. How do you interpret that? That's interesting to me. You rent dorms and you hit a clock for a living. What is that? Does that mean you rent dorms or you rent rooms to your fighters? Does that mean that you live in a dorm yourself? When he says you hit a clock for a living, does that mean you start and stop the clock between rounds? Or does that mean you're punching a clock? Whatever it is, I think what he's saying is you don't live in a mansion like me. And I earn that mansion by punching other guys in the face. And that's not what you do. Nothing like reducing the coach of a featherweight champion and one of the best fighters in the world to a guy who rents dorms and hits a clock for a living. Yeah, you're great. Yeah, you're awesome. You're a landlord and a clock hitter. And then he closes out that first tweet with the knockout blow. Shut your pie, kid. I'm not saying that I would ever get a tattoo of a tweet. You know, like Hawk got a tattoo of a cat. But if I ever were to ink a tweet, it'd probably be that one. Shut your pie, kid. Like, remember when Connor was on this show a while back and talked about what it was like when he connects his left hand with an opponent's skull? Remember, he came on the show and he talked about that. Well, that's him connecting his left hand with a keyboard. It's pretty awesome. You can shut down Twitter for the rest of eternity because it's not going to get better than you twerp chased by you rent dorms and you hit a clock for a living followed by shut your pie kid. It's perfect. And here's a message to all you losers who heard shut your pie kid and started coming up with something really clever. You know, the perfect tweet to connect shut your pie kid to some celebrity or athlete who's put on a pound or two. Don't do it. Shut your pie kid is a rare and beautiful thing in the ugly world of Twitter. I don't need you ruining it for me. So if you want to come in here with some appearance based smack based on shut your pie kid, take it someplace else. And then Connor chased that great tweet with a warning to everybody. Quote, all these young mouthy clock hitters stay ready. So Connor may have lost his belt in the cage, but he is still the double champ of smack, and especially on, on social. The double champ does what the f- he wants. The double champ does do what the bleep he wants. Shut your pie, kid. So watching football is great, right? Yeah, well, it's a lot more entertaining when you've got some action on the games. Whether you're an expert or a rookie, you should be betting at my bookie. If you're the kind of guy that likes to bet a little and win a lot, like playing the numbers on roulette, then you can create a big parlay. Pick three teams to win, and if you hit all three, you could turn 100 bucks into 600. There is so much to bet on. My bookie is the one bet that I know you'll be happy with all year long. I recommend these guys because I trust these guys. My bookie has been in business for years. They've got great online reviews, and their mobile site is easy to use. Sign up this week, and my bookie will give you a 50% deposit bonus to jumpstart your bankroll. It's a great way to bank even more money when you win. Do not miss out on one of the best weeks to bet on sports this year. Log on to MyBookie right now and use the promo code Rome, and you'll get a 50% deposit bonus. Once again, promo code Rome. You play, you win, you get paid. Shaka Smart is my guest. Shaka, nice to have you on. How are you? I'm great. Thanks for having me on, Jim. It's good to have you, Shaka. Thank you very much. You know, you're coming off a tough loss to Oklahoma State last night in a game where you fell behind early. You came storming back. Look, I know you're never going to be thrilled with a loss, but what did your guys show you in the way they fought back last night? 
Our guys showed a lot of fight. Uh, we did not start the game the way we needed to. And you know how it is on the road, particularly in league play. Uh, it's tough when you dig yourself that kind of hole. But I thought our guys did show some real character in coming back. And now, you know, we have to learn a lesson in, in understanding that it's a 40-minute game. It's a 40-minute game, and you get got to bounce back so quickly. For instance, Shaka, I mentioned the Big 12 is a brutal conference, and as evidence of that, you got number 8 Texas Tech on Saturday, followed by number 7 Kansas on Monday. How do you make sure you guys do bounce back quickly and get focused in a hurry for the challenges that await? Well, we focus on one game at a time, and you know, we, we come back, get on the practice court, work on a lot of the areas where we can improve. Um, Texas Tech is a is a terrific team. They they play phenomenal defense. So I think it starts with understanding you know the ways to create scoring opportunities against them. But you know it's always more than anything about our team and what we can do to be our best. And when we've played good basketball this year, that's when the, where the focus has been. Shaka Smart is my guest. So what about your team? You opened up conference play with wins over Kansas State and West Virginia. 15 games into this season, how would you describe where this team is? You know, Jim, we're still really working to gain a level of consistency. Uh, we played really well in those two games last night, nowhere nearly as well. So I think it's, you know, for a team that's in some ways still evolving, trying to make sure we have five guys on the floor that have the understanding of what's going to make us consistent over a 40-minute game and then just trying to replicate that game in and game out. So that's, I think, for a lot of teams early in conference play, you know, what they're trying to do and the teams that have success and are able to get at or near the top of the standings, uh, that's what they're going to do. Texas head coach Shaka Smart joining me in the jungle. Shaka, one of the things that you talked about last week was the fact that you're willing to bench guys who don't bring, quote, juice Explain that. How does Juice show up on the court, and then what's it mean to everybody on the team when they've got guys who are bringing it on a regular basis? Well, it's just it's another word for energy, uh, but it's it's more than a physical thing. It's your talk. It's the spirit that you play with, and you know the vibe that you give to your teammates. Because you know one thing people forget: it is a team sport. You know, guys do impact one another. So when you have five guys out there that have great juice. You're getting your hands on the ball on the defensive end. You're cutting hard on offense. You're sprinting the floor. You're flying to the glass. And, you know, for anyone watching, it's very, very evident, but it's not something that always shows up statistically. Um, so, you know, the key is to have five guys out there that will do that. And, you know, again, our guys uh, need to understand that that's what's going to get them on the floor more. You know, in terms of that also, in addition to that, you've got this great, great reputation for your strategies and your schemes, but when you look at yourself as a head coach and your responsibilities, how much of it is about strategy and scheme, but how much of it is really about relationships and trust that you have to have with your players so that when you do make a move, they know exactly where you're coming from? No, I I think you're exactly right, Jim. I actually think the relationship, the trust, uh, getting guys to buy into you know, what you want them to do, that actually trumps the strategies and the schemes. Uh, that stuff's obviously important, and you got to do scouting and, and, and have a game plan for sure. But uh, it, it's about getting guys that, that have a willingness to run through a wall for the team. And when you have five guys out there, you know, the thing about coaching is there's a whole lot of different game plans that can be successful if you have people with that frame of mind. 
Texas Longhorns head coach, Shaka Smart's my guest. You know, I also bring this up because when you talk about relationships, last season, in fact, about one year ago, guard Andrew Jones was diagnosed with leukemia. What was it like for you, Shaka, personally, when you learned that news? It was really tough. It was something unlike anything that I've, I've dealt with in coaching uh, because it happened so abruptly. You know, he was not feeling quite like himself, but, you know, we, we really didn't know what it was. And then, you know, we, we, we got some testing done on him. And then, you know, a couple of days later, we got the results. And, uh, again, it was a very abrupt diagnosis. But um, our team and Andrew, you know, really just rallied around each other. And Andrew's handled uh, his treatment and his recovery uh, as well as anyone could imagine. Uh, he actually just is finishing up another round of treatment that, you know, was a pre-scheduled treatment. He's doing great. Um, you know, is is up to 190 pounds, which is phenomenal. He, Jim, he had gotten down to, you know, 150, 155, lost a lot of weight. So um, doing much, much better and super excited about him working his way back to, you know, hopefully someday being, being full-time uh, out there on the court. I just want to add to this, Shaka, that you're in a position where for so many years you've led from the front and people look to you, but there's some things that you just can't really prepare for. I, I speak from experience. My father had leukemia, and you're right. The diagnosis, it just it comes out of nowhere. It's so shocking. It's so abrupt. And then you see somebody that you, you love so much, you've got so much respect for, and then they start to deteriorate, but they continue to battle, and Jones has come back. I mean, you talk about what he showed in himself and to his teammates and the way he battled back, but then I want to say earlier this season, he joins the team and he suffers a broken toe. Life is brutal and life can be vicious. But was there any part of you that thought, man, can you cut this kid a break? If anybody deserves absolutely. a break, it's this kid. Yeah, absolutely. But you know what? He, his attitude and his mindset has been phenomenal. And even when he broke his toe, he said, you know what? I'm going to be back soon mm. and I'm just going to keep working. Uh, the thing that's great about him through this whole process is um, you know, he loves basketball as much as anyone I've ever been around. But I, I think, in addition, this this has given him a sense of perspective and even enjoyment uh, for life, uh, which is which is great to see. And you got a young man that's 21 years of age; he's got his whole life ahead of him. So, hopefully, he can continue to move forward. It's so good to hear that. Shaka Smart, my guest. Listen, one last topic really quickly. This is your 20th season in coaching, and over the past few years, I've had guys like Jamie and Christian and Mike Jones on the show, and they're part of your coaching tree. It's a tree that also includes Will Wade, Mike Rhodes, the list goes on. How much pride is there for you in seeing the success that these guys have had? Well, it's not so much pride, Jim. It's just more being happy for them. And, you know, when you go through the grind of a college basketball season or several seasons together, um, there's a real bond that's formed. And, you know, sometimes it's formed because, you know, you're, you're arguing with each other and disagreeing about, you know, what to do next with the team or whatever it may be. And uh, those guys you mentioned, we, you know, we certainly didn't always agree, but we, uh, we cared about each other and still do. And, and there's really strong relationships there. So, I'm just appreciative that I got the chance to work with those guys and now that they've been given opportunities and most importantly, they've made the most out of them. And then finally, what's it like to go up against them? Is it just business or is it a little bit different because you've been in the trenches and you've gone to battle together? 
Yeah, it's, uh, I don't like playing against friends, so I'd rather uh, play against guys you know I don't know as well because it's, it's definitely mixed emotions. Texas going up against Texas Tech on Saturday. Shaka Smart's the head coach at Texas. Fourth season there. Shaka, I'm glad we could finally do it. Really nice to have you on the show. Appreciate you, and I appreciate that visit. Thanks so much. Jim, thanks for having me. I'm a big fan of yours. Quickly, so we talked about Cliff Kingsbury and what that meant to Arizona. But what's it mean to USC, right? I mean, the news is official. In Arizona, he gets that gig. He's their head coach. But here in SoCal, it means exactly one thing. Cliff Kingsbury, you are not the offensive coordinator. You are not the offensive coordinator. Trojan fan, how's that grab you? After losing five of six to end your season, the one W that you did manage was landing Cliff to fix your offense. And he was not around long enough to even coach a practice. Remember that, quote, stability that A.D. Lynn Swan was talking about when he made that decision to stick with Clay Helton, his head coach? That USC was going to roll with their dude and just surround him with better coaches because they wanted stability. Well, that better coach just treated his time with the Trojans like a frat dude on spring break. A couple of weeks in the sun, a couple of nights in the club, and the first chance to bounce, he did. And you can't blame the guy either, right? Of course he left. Everybody would. He just parlayed getting fired at Texas Tech into a head coaching job in the NFL. That's not easy to do. In fact, that is the greatest example of falling forward I have ever seen in my life. Fired at Texas Tech, and he parlayed that into a head coaching job in the NFL. That's like some kind of magic trick. And with a contract buyout that was only 150 grand, there was no deterrent for him or to him bouncing. There's no way USC could keep this guy. There was no way USC could expect him to stay when he was offered an NFL head coaching job. So don't blame Cliff for bouncing. And don't get this part twisted. I get trying to bring this guy in. USC had hit rock bottom. USC had to try something. And even for a moment, there was some positive buzz around that program when he arrived. But only for a moment because that's how long he was there. And then he bounced. And now they look even worse than they did before they brought him in. I mean, I'd love to say, hey, listen, you had to take your shot. You had to do it. But they look worse, right? I mean, look how badly they got played. That's USC that that just happened to. And so he gets out of there easily and lands on his feet. And then where does that leave USC? And by the way, a better question, what the hell happened to USC? A decade ago, Pete Carroll won his third straight Rose Bowl. That was his seventh straight season of finishing in the top four in the AP. Natties were being won. Heismans were being stacked. There was no better place on the planet to be a college football player. Period. They would play anybody, anywhere. They won every big game they played that was not against Vince Young. I mean, yes, Peter did play fast and loose at times with NCAA rules. Sometimes his guys would lose games that they were not supposed to lose. But now, USC is not just losing games that they're not supposed to lose. They're getting clowned by a two-win UCLA squad. They're losing offensive coordinators before they can even move into their office. I mean, that's some kind of decade for SC. Peter bolts for the NFL. The NCAA drops the hammer on Troy. 
Kiff gets gassed on the tarmac, and Sark gets blasted on the job. Get ready to ride on, baby. Let's go. Sark gets blasted on the job, but Clay Helton gets to keep his job. And remember, when he kept that job, remember the press release that they dropped at that time. They kept him, but they ethered him with their own press release. Quote, we acknowledge and understand our deficiencies in areas that include culture, discipline, schemes, personnel, and staff. Let me run that back to you one more time. They said this about a guy. They they didn't fire this guy and then justify it by saying, here's why. Because we had deficiencies in culture, discipline, schemes, personnel, and staff. (laughs) They, They kept him and then they said that. Deficiencies in culture, discipline, schemes, personnel, and staff. What the hell else is there? There's nothing else when it comes to a football team. I mean, that's all? That's all? Look, losing assistant coaches happens. And it happens especially to successful programs. Not that SC is right now. But I mean, look at the dictator. This guy's running a revolving door in and out of Tuscaloosa. But you can't lose an OC, especially when he's the most important person on the staff, before he even coaches a practice. And you sure as hell can't lose him after you hype that hire like it was the biggest thing to hit SoCal since Botox. So fight on, Trojan fan. And just hope that Herb feels rested and recovered about 12 months from right now. Let's start the clock on that. Herb coming to LA. How awesome would that be? Run the clock. Herb, you know Herb. Herb will do a new contract with his family. Sign a new contract with the family. He's feeling fresh, rested. And he is a football coach. And he's all about molding young men. Doctors will say the climate. I'm not saying that he's not, that he's not, does not have physical condition because he does. But I'm sure the doctors will say, oh, yeah, the climate there in LA is great. Don't worry about that smog. Smog's overrated. So is traffic. Set the clock to it. Urban LA would be perfect. Xander Shoffley is my guest. Xander, really good to have you on the show. How are you? I'm doing well. How are you? Xander, I'm great. Listen, that round, that round on Sunday was really something because let me start right there. You started off five shots back of Gary Woodland. So first things first, going into the round, what was your mindset? Well, uh, you know, figured I'd just bogey the first hole, go six back, uh, <laughs> make, make it a bit easier on myself. Right, right. That's exactly <laughs> yeah, what happened. Gonna, Go ahead. Yeah, just had a, you know, just a typical nothing to lose. Uh, when you're five back, you don't really expect a whole lot. So I guess that kind of worked in my favor. All right, so for those who missed it, that's exactly what happened. You opened up with a bogey on the first, and then you're six shots back. Might have been easy at that point to say, you know what, this is not my day. Maybe mentally pack it in, but that's not what you did. Instead, you go out and you shoot a course record, tying 11 under 62. So how do you bounce back from that first hole to do what you did? It just, you know, that's like some point. I figured the first hole probably freed me up. You know, I think everyone's looking, when you're five back, they're looking for the dream start to, you know, birdie the first five or whatnot to get sort of in, in some sort of position. But um, bogeying the first really made me not think of a whole lot. You know, we're in Hawaii, the tournament champions, just, everyone's relaxed and, and calm for the most part. So I figured I might as well just go with the butt. 
Xander Shoffley joining us. That makes sense. So you have this amazing approach on 17. It's a hole that nobody had birdied until you did it, and then you chased that with a fairway wood on 18 that left you 12 feet from the hole. When the round was over, you said at that time that you were speechless. Now that you've had some time to think about it, how would you explain the feeling of that round? What did it feel like afterwards? Man, well, yeah, I mean, thinking about it, it's, I was speechless at the time just because I was I've never shot. I think that was honestly my first course record. I've been playing golf for a while, and I've never even had a course record anywhere. So to do it, you know, at that time was, was pretty special. And um, I had no idea what I was at. Like, I knew I was just chasing Gary for the most part, but I, I didn't really know where I was at. You know, I didn't know I was going 10, 11 deep during the round. So um, I was apparently just in my own world having some fun. You know, it's worth noting also that all four of your wins on the PGA Tour have been come-from-behind wins. So how do you explain the kind of mental toughness required to run down the leader on a Sunday? I guess that's just a position I'm comfortable in. You know, I, the next step of my career is going to be to sort of learn how to go wire to wire and hang on hang on to a lead versus, you know, always having – I don't mind, you know, winning from behind. That's not a bad deal. But, um, you know, all, all the best players in the world have, have managed to sort of capture a lead and keep it. Xander Shoffley joining us. You know, what's amazing about that, though, is three years ago, you start off the year by missing nine cuts in 12 <laughs> tournaments on the Web.com tour. So at that point, where were you mentally and emotionally in your career? Thanks. Uh, thanks for that reminder. You're there. welcome, bro. Um, <laughs> yeah, I was, I was in a dark place, obviously. You know, every golfer has got their own little nightmares they have to deal with. Um, starting off as a, a young tour pro, that was, that was one of them. So I knew that was something, you know, that every every good players have to deal with so I just sort of you know kept my head down and and try to keep working hey, listen I was not going to mention that without mentioning the good stuff because now you're a four-time <laughs> winner on tour you have top five finishes at the U.S. Open and the British Open you're all the way up to number six in the world now you're getting a lot of run as one of the favorites at Augusta did you see all that happening when you were struggling on the web.com tour what was your mindset then no I was very worried about bills and money and all that kind of stuff. Um, you know, obviously you dream about being, you know, in contention at the Masters and being a, a favorite there. Uh, but, yeah, this is also very fresh, very fresh for me. And, um, you know, we'll just take it in stride and, and see how we do. So, Xander, what was the biggest difference? What changed? How did that thing come together the way it did? What's that, just getting comfortable? or Basically, being where you are right now. I mean, going from a point where you were concerned about paying the bills to being a top 10 player in the world. Yeah, it's, a, it's happened awfully fast. You know, I fortunately don't get a whole lot of time to think about it. Um, but I don't know. I guess having good people around me, uh, guys like uh, Charlie Hoffman, we give him a shout out. So there it is. Um, you know, guys like that, veterans on tour helping me. You know, I just I feel fortunate to have a good team and, and nice people around me to help me sort of push me through when, when times are tough. I love a shout-out to Charlie Hoffman. You can do that anytime you want on this program. <laughs> I, I guess what it comes down to, how much of it do you think was between your ears and how much of it was about your game? Yeah, I mean, I think at some point you get to a level where your game is sort of what it is. You know, you can make sort of small changes and, and small adjustments to it um, as time, you know, as your game progresses. But a lot of it was just in, in between my ears. You know, it's, you're just young and you feel frustrated easily and, you're just scared of, of what's out there. And uh, like I said, you know, everyone around me has helped me feel more comfortable day to day. I respect that. That's a really honest answer. Xander Shoffley joining us. The other thing is you come from a family of really elite athletes. In fact, your father was a track and field star with Olympic potential. 
until he was hit by a drunk driver in a head-on collision. One of the things that you've talked about is that your father's experience reminds you that nothing is guaranteed and how fortunate you are to have these opportunities. How much does that motivate you and drive you? A ton. You know, he's, uh, he's my mentor. He's my mental coach. You know, I, fortunately, he's always wanted me to experience something, you know, without permanent damage to where, you know, it's kind of life-altering, which is sort of what happened to him. So, fortunately, I haven't been put in a situation like his. Um, you know, all good psychologists or, or people that have had bad things happen to them and come out on top are sort of people you want to listen to. So, I have him, um, and he's willing to help me whenever, whenever he can and whenever I want. So um, I definitely use him uh, to help me out a lot. All right, so one of the things that he was really big on when you were coming up and playing the game in San Diego was do not watch video of your swing. Why was that important to him? What was his philosophy? I don't know. Um, he just talked a lot about how he doesn't want me to be too much of a perfectionist. You know, most golfers out here um, – it's such a weird game, and you just try and be as perfect as possible. Um, even if you're not really a perfectionist to start, you sort of become one the more you play golf. Uh, so I think he just wanted me to sort of steer clear and want me to trust him, uh, which was a tricky one at first. But, you know, now he's you know, got my full trust uh, that we've made this far. So um, I think it was, it was something along those lines. Yeah, there's something about that, right? Coaches who work with their sons. When you say it was tricky about trusting him, was that because – why was that? Because he was your dad or something else? Yeah, I mean every, I mean every kid or or son, I should say, even daughter has to deal with a dad being their coach in any sport is always a tricky one. You know, the person that's trying to help you the most is someone you really don't want to listen to when you're a teenager. So um, we went through that wall head first, uh, and I'm glad we did. Exactly right. Listen, before you go, I mentioned that you're getting a lot of run. Is one of the favorites at the Masters. You grew up watching the Masters on TV, of course. What was it like to play at Augusta for the first time? What do you remember about that? Oh, man, well, it was Charlie Hoffman first round. There's another shout-out. Um, <laughs> That's good. <laughs> he said you like him for some odd reason. I, I do like him, was, dude. But... I like him. I, I wouldn't shout him out a third time, but I do like him. Okay, I, I like that. That's good. Um, yeah, it was it was a really eerie experience. You know, I, I remember it being really – I mean, I played a practice round before I went out for the official week, but even when I was there for the official week, it was, it was really surreal. You know, you see all that stuff on TV, and you can sort of – imagine everything that's happened there sort of while you're staying there with no one around and um i just remember being really eerie sort of i felt uncomfortable the whole week just because i didn't want to you know do something wrong or, or piss someone off so i'm um, looking forward to going back a second time to now that i'm you know more aware of what's going on or most importantly let your guy hoffman down that makes three listen <laughs> your golf golf at that level is the hardest thing so i know you're concerned about yourself and primarily that but you're a part of that great class of 2011 a group that includes jordan spieth justin thomas and more do you get motivation do you guys kind of feed off each other and is there motivation that you each get from the success that the other guys have from that class yeah i mean for me yes yeah i don't know about the other other boys in our class but i mean i would assume that we all push each other just because we've seen each other you know up throughout the ranks you know obviously uh, JT and Jordan were sort of our top dogs and they still are our top dogs you know Jordan's collected a ton of majors early and JT's got a major and you know hasn't wiggled outside the top five for a while now so um, they're both guys you know I look up to and um, they've set the bar high for, for young golfers moving on forward hey Jim is Freddie Kitchens hiring we both want back in signed Chuck and Mark from Lawrence war the jungle Carmel.
Charlie in Lawrence, Kansas. Hey, Jim, this is Charlie Weiss in Lawrence, Kansas. I was trying to get some of that jungle caramel you got. Jungle. I'll take two buckets of it. My bad, Alvin. Run that back one more time. My bad. Charlie in Lawrence, Kansas. Hey, Jim, this is Charlie Weiss in Lawrence, Kansas. I was trying to get some of that jungle caramel you got. I'll take two buckets of it for lunch. Hey, Jim, I went to Jack in the Box this morning for breakfast. I went to the drive-thru and I said, I'll take it. We're drinking cake batter and maple syrup out of a glass. Rock me. I'm out. Ah. Honestly? Oh, no. I haven't given that guy nearly the respect that he deserves. Alvin, do you have a name on that guy? Other than the fake Charlie Weiss. I'm going to go back to Freddie Kitchens in a minute. By the way, that's a really good hire. That's also a really, really good hire. Period. A really good hire. I love that hire. Let me just say that, too. Back to that guy, that fake Charlie Weiss. If I knew who you were, I'd give you a golden ticket right now. A golden ticket for the 25th and most important smack off. On the strength of that. He went through the drive-thru at Jack in the Box and said, I'll take it. I'll have some of your jungle caramel. Two buckets for lunch. Like, I, retrospectively, or retroactively, I should say, I would give that guy a golden ticket right now if I knew who it was. Good night!